Two one. Hey folks, Zach Osterman, Indianapolis Star, Mike Nislick. I'm pointing at him through the screen. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, Bloomington Herald Times. This is Mind Your Banners for December 15th, 2022. A lot of ground to cover today. A lot going on. Uh, Mike, I think we should, there's obviously basketball to discuss, but I think we should start with football because we really haven't talked about that since Kurt Signetti's hiring and a lot has happened. Um, first of all, there was the predictable sort of wave of players off the roster, coaching change, into the portal, et cetera. Um, and what we're starting to see now is a bit more of sort of the, the movement back toward the roster, either of, you know, freshmen or I guess you call them high school, you know, but but will be freshmen committing to Indiana or some transfers coming in or some players pulling out of the portal. Um, needless to say, it is a, a very hectic time to be a head uh, football coach in college. Well, yeah, I mean, your roster turning over, you know, I think Kurt Signetti said he, he anticipates about 30% every year. So, I mean, it's significant and it's even more significant when there's a coaching change. Um, but, I mean, to your point, not a lot of the players that were in the portal have come back, only two. And Carter Smith's really the only notable one, no offense to Jordan Greer. Um, but um, nine have committed elsewhere. Um, you know, I don't think that they're probably going to have too too many others coming back um, just based on kind of how things have kind of unfolded. Um, so a lot of room to sort of make this roster. Um, you know, they only offered four players from James Madison that they had committed. Um, so there's still going to be um, plenty of space to sort of try to uh, piece this thing together. I think some of the big we've talked about, at least on, on, in, in what we've written and, um, on social media, some of the big names out include obviously Donovan McCulley, the two offensive linemen, Matt Bedford and Khalil Benson, who have since committed to Colorado. Lewis Morris going to Ole Miss. Um, who have they gotten back? Carter Smith was the big one. Jordan Greer gives them some safety depth, which they need because so many of their safeties are either done with their eligibility or moved on through the portal. Um, you know, McCulley is still floating out there. We'll kind of see where that goes. I think for a while, Indiana was hopeful. And then for a while, it seemed like everybody just sort of assumed, including me, that once the the big hitters kind of got involved, um, it was unlikely he'd come back. I would say it feels like that has sort of equalized a little bit. And maybe there's a little bit more optimism than there was. But a, an acceptable dose of sort of realism of, of who you're competing against. Um, the, the biggest name right now is, is probably Curtis Rourke the quarterback from Ohio who was Mac uh, was, was he off? I think, I think it's offensive and defensive player of the year. I don't think there's just like one player of the year in the Mac, at least that's my read of it, but he was Mac offensive player of the year in 2022. He tore his ACL. He managed to come back and contribute this year. And Ohio one has uh, put together back-to-back nine win seasons. Um, we had a sense that Signetti and his staff were going to look for a transfer QB who maybe, you know, was only going to be around for one or two years, but could kind of be a bridge while they sort of settled their offense and developed some younger QBs. And that's very much what it feels like Rourke is going to be. Obviously, he's going to have to win the job. You know, it goes without saying, but I, I think you'd make him the front runner at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, usually the hand-picked guy is the guy that you're going to go with if you're the new coach. Um, you know, obviously, Taven Jackson's still here, uh, Brock Lowry. Um, but, you know, they'll I think they'll have an up, uphill battle um to climb um i didn't see who work got offers from i guess what vanderbilt byu wake forest 
I think, uh, yeah, I think also Boise State was involved. So, I mean, some some programs kind of around your level, some that probably have slightly higher aspirations, but it's, you know, they didn't beat out Ohio State. On the other hand, their only competition wasn't other Mac schools or anything like that. It was just kind of somewhere in that that vague in between. Yeah, and I, and I wonder how much, you know, his upside was limited with coming off the injury in terms of, um, you know, the ACL trying to stay healthy. That probably docked his, his value a little bit in the transfer portal. There's a lot of quarterbacks. Um, uh, you know, I, I think Signetti's background gives you a little more faith that he's going to be a guy that could make the leap to the power five. But I'm always hesitant. Um, you know, I saw this kind of at Virginia Tech with um, they got Grant Wells, who was at Marshall, who had um, really good numbers and then, you know, just struggled because the the competition is so it's just so much it's just such a leap. And so I think, you know, if it wasn't for Kurt Signetti's prowess as a quarterback kind of evaluator and the, the staff that he has that has kind of developed quarterbacks, I'd be a little more hesitant to, you know, I, I would say you go after another power five quarterback, to be honest. That that's just kind of I mean, didn't necessarily work out with Taven, but that's kind of I think a straighter path to success. But I mean, this is a rebuild. Um, so you know, I don't, you know, the the they're not going, you know, you're not trying to start a championship team here. You're trying to get to six wins. And I do think like I mean, there's a couple things. One of the things that stood out to me, and I think people have kind of cottoned onto it a little bit more since his um his introductory press conference, I, I I think it kind of sort of glossed over a little bit that day and has maybe come into greater focus since his kind of line about how he prefers, I don't remember the exact word, but how he prefers, was it like basically production over potential that, that, that he's, there's an extent to which he's always going to value the guys that he feels like he just sees like, you know, the, the floor is high Again, you talk about obviously this is all going to come down to his and his staff's ability to evaluate not just talent, but what talent fits them. You know, for example, it was interesting to me. It's been interesting to me that Indiana's really made no push for Jordan McLeod, who was obviously Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year with Signetti um, at James Madison last season. At, at least publicly, there's been no real sort of other than I think maybe some immediate interest and, and admittedly some assumptions on the part of people like me that McLeod might just follow him to IU. It didn't seem like Indiana ever really sort of prioritized McLeod the way that they prioritized Rourke, who took a visit this week, who, you know, was kind of a name that was out there for a while. Um, I don't think Signetti's just going to take transfers, but it's interesting to me that it seems like he is his starting point, whether it's high school or, or the, the portal, at least in his own words, sort of seems to be like that he wants to be sure where the floor is with a guy first. And foremost, and well, we'll see. I mean, there's only well, only taking two transfers, so it's hard to say. And, and well, but, Justice, that, but, but I mean, but that was Justice his, Allison I mean, doesn't have that. Is sort of a different. I mean, I think it's very different. His production has sort of been sort of very average. So it's like you know, it's like I, I think it might be the quarterback. Um, obviously, I think production makes a difference. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what else the what other kind of transfers they take. I mean, uh, how how aggressive they're going to be because they have been kind of slow to move in terms of. Numbers wise, I mean, I know they have ground to make up, um, but I mean, they just have so many roster spots open right now. I mean, you know, in a matter of a couple of weeks, we could be talking about, you know, they, they probably need 15 transfers here. No, that's fair. I mean, and I think, again, like they have they have not really sort of you know, through back channels or anything like overly publicized visits. We've kind of had to pick up 
on a lot of the transfers just because they've sort of tweeted and social, posted on social media as they've rolled through town. And we'll see where Indiana gets up to with some of those. I think this weekend is going to be a big one. And I think the, you know, what the portal first window is, what, the 20th through the 22nd, I think. Um, you know, where does Indiana kind of wind up? What's up? In terms of si- actual signing? when Yeah, for, for transfers, I think it's the 20th through the 22nd. Obviously, the, the high school signing window is also next week. So we'll kind of see where Indiana, I mean, since the portal opened, there's always been a handful of transfers. It feels like they kind of come out of nowhere in the 24 hours before. But then you find out that they visited two weeks ago and they were kind of on this like sprint through visiting four or five schools and then they picked one. Um, there is a lot to do. And again, I think we'll see how quickly he moves by basically where Indiana winds up in that in that window, that signing window. Um, the bigger question I have is offensive line. And and just, you know, Carter Smith is back. And there's some, I guess, some promising younger pieces on this roster. And Bob Bostad will know whether or not he likes maybe some of the guys that are now stepping in for your Khalil Bensons and your um, your Matt Bedfords. And, you know, I think Zach Carpenter is still kind of floating out there. I don't think he's publicized, publicized a lot about whatever's been going on in his transfer recruitment. Um, but I think that, you know, even if, I mean, like, even to the extent that I wonder if there might be more James Madison players that wind up in the portal after their bowl game. And that's, listen, that's a stretch. I mean, that's, you know, um, but he's already had some guys come with him. He brought a lot of his staff with him and it wouldn't be shocking to see an 11 and one Sunbelt team, you know, stocked with guys that maybe want to stay true through the bowl game. But then when this picks back up after Christmas, they wind up going into the portal to see what their options are. Um, But it is going to be a fascinating build up to next week, because as you said, I mean, they just they need bodies and they've obviously got to be comfortable with not just taking guys that are going to, you know, not have a lot of value at this level, um, guys that are going to be overwhelmed or overmatched at this level. But they do just kind of need pieces at the moment, too. Well, I mean, you know, you talk about the offensive line. I I could maybe piece together a starting five defensive line. I mean, Geez, <laughs> they don't have much of anything right now. I mean, Marcus Burris, Philip Bleedy, and then a whole lot of uh, not 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 experienced seven total players on the defensive line. Uh, I know uh, Tom Allen before he left was high on Tadarius Collins, but um, you know because if Max Longman were to come back, you got Nola Boltkoff. I, I don't I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Austin Barrett. Uh, Carter Smith. I mean, there's some. De- I mean, you know, you could kind of get there. They still need more bodies because they only have eight or nine offensive linemen with Carter Smith coming back. But defensive line, they can't even run it too deep right now, um, <laughs> which is crazy. So, um, and I, I don't remember how many signees they have on the defensive line in their class either. So, um, well, they've had two of the two of the kids they've added from the James Madison class. One was an edge rusher, and one was just kind of described as defensive line. Looking at his film a little bit and his his frame, Mario Landino, it, it seemed like he might be more of an inside guy as he fills out um, than an outside guy, but I'm not completely. And I, the other thing is, I can't say I've watched enough of Kurt Signetti's defense to feel good about, you know, well, this is what he wants. You know, this is the this is the scheme he runs. Those were the actually the only two commits right now on the defensive line, so that was it. Uh, okay. Three offensive linemen. So um, still not a lot of help. I mean, because usually defensive linemen, it takes time. Um, it's rare for, you know, especially if you're recruiting sort of the lesser, you know, you know, three-star, not lesser, but three-star guys 
Um, it take you know physically, um, you know, it takes time. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think both the lines are, are are in massive need of some some help, and I, I I think they do need at some point some experience on on the defensive line um, to sort of sort of bolster that effort. There are, there are one or two guys because they had three guys in the top four at James Madison in tackles for loss in the Sun Belt last year, and I I think one of them may still have eligibility, maybe two of them. So again, I I mean, the the important thing to kind of remember is you know the portal does pick back up a little bit after Christmas, and then basically like it's it's like what it's like the you have this sort of like window for recruiting and signing between semesters essentially, and then everything kind of shuts down at least in a i can formally sign with another school i'm leaving here's here's where i'm going um it shuts down again to what like the end of may or the middle of may it's basically after spring practice like you get that second wave of transfers that come out of spring practice and decide you know i'm not going to have a role that i want i want to move on but like to your point about numbers you can't have you can't have a very effective spring practice if you can't like you right. Need, I mean, that's the thing. You, you need bodies to have good somebody. practice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can be able to run at least too deep at these positions to get what you need out of spring. I mean, there, like you said, there will be uh, attrition after the spring because there are going to be players that don't fit what they want, players that don't necessarily love this coaching staff that decide after, you know, that, that give it a shot. Um, so, I mean, obviously, there's going to be more as we go roster tomer, but at some point, they need to get, you know, <laughs> over 75 scholarship players. Somehow, some way. Um, I'm also fascinated by the. No, I don't know. If fascinated is the right word. Um, just where the quarterback position is at the moment. So they've got now three guys or four, four. Yeah, four. Yeah, four guaranteed. Presuming no one leaves to be on roster for next season. Um, you know, I, again, I think you can see the value of taking a really experienced quarterback because before he committed your room next year was redshirt sophomore redshirt freshman true freshman they seem still to be in a really good position with tyler cherry from center grove um and it doesn't seem like taking alberta mendoza necessarily would dissuade them from also taking cherry um but i mean you know would they carry five quarterbacks that's even in the 85 scholarship day that's that's quite a bit um, but there's not the enough hand, reps to go around, but, you know, usually four, you don't even get reps, you know, the, it's the three guys really. So five yeah. seems, you know, but then in the same out. breath, I'm somebody who's covered a season where Indiana ended with three scholarship quarterbacks, all like all too injured to play. Yeah. So maybe five, maybe five isn't a terrible number. Um, and there's also always an extent to which kind of, you know, quarterbacks and starting pitchers sort of feel the same way. You just, you just kind of take them and and work with them and hope that you know the quantity of the load you take on one emerges as a really good player um but i am i am kind of fascinated just by the the way that they've attacked that position both in recruiting and high school recruiting and in the portal to give themselves a lot more options than it felt like indiana had last year yeah but i mean who are they throwing it to i mean skill position wise i mean you know, the, the cupboard's bare right now. So it sort of goes hand in hand. Like, you know, I, you only can get so, uh, you know, fans can only get so excited about adding Rourke when, you know, you got six receivers right now. EJ Williams, I guess, is coming back. Um, um, but, you know, the, the 
without McCauley, that room is really, really hurting. I think you've seen, um, you know, probably double digit offers, I think, to power five receivers uh, or uh, FBS receivers have gone out, transfer receivers from this new staff. So, I mean, I think they know that right now, too. Running they seem back, to be targeting slot guys in particular. A lot of slot and, and guys with return experience because, I mean, obviously you're, uh, you know, if you lose Jalen Lucas. And they also need to know that I think, you know, you know, you got Josh Henderson, Justin Ellison, and uh, is kind of experienced guys. But, uh, you know, to me, a running back never gets better six years into college. You know, I, I really do think they could use somebody – no, I mean, I mean, it's just I funny we're still talking about guys. 60 year, 60 year player. It's just, it's, it's kind of to the point where it's like, look, if you run for 500 yards for six years in college at the you know, par five level, probably who you are. Um, you know, it's like, I, I just think there's not a lot of upside to that running back room. I mean, we haven't seen anything of Holloman really, but, um, you know, Trent Holland was a guy that to me was kind of going up. You know, you could see the arc where he was kind of, you know, hadn't played at all and you could see an upside. Uh, you know, to me that right now that running back, the, the skill positions, which I thought was the strength kind of going in before all the guys into the transfer portal now is, again, really, you know, the cupboard's pretty bare. To be fair, if, if you gave Indiana a 500-yard rushing running back last year, he would have led the team in rushing. So, like, I'm not sure I would totally knock that. That's have you not, noticed? That's not, not speaking, mistaken, I don't know who that speaks more so. I, if, yeah, if I know, I get it. Break. I get what you're saying. Did you notice, I believe he did, that Trent Hallen deleted his tweet about committing to Minnesota? No, I didn't. I think he did. Now, his, his listen, I get it. Reading we're, Twitter is the worst thing. You're, you're, I know, you're I know. You're the worst instincts of fans. <laughs> <laughs> he changed his bio. Well, his so, his, so his, his photo is still his commitment photo from Minnesota, but he deleted the tweet. So... Hey, he, you know, he liked how he, just, they captured his good side. They got the Photoshop. That's all I wanted. I'm just saying. Um, there's obviously no, I mean, nothing until the dotted line. I mean, that is a point, right? Until somebody signed on a dotted line, or even when it's signed on the dotted line, you just go to court now. But I mean, <laughs> anything can change, really, I guess. The other thing I would say about that wide receiver room, and again, I it, it feels like the sort of optimism pessimism meter with McCully has almost like stabilized where it was like all the way up here. And, you know, at one point it was all the way up here at one point, And it feels like it's kind of come back to here with the idea of him staying. The one thing I would say about that receiver room is it is pretty, I mean, like it, it like without McCulley, there's a lot of like, Oh, I don't know how this works, but with McCulley, a lot of those pieces slide more comfortably into other places. Well, yeah. Like, Cause EJ Williams is a nice complimentary number two receiver right. with the upside. You know, he's, he is a, he could be a number one, but right now, I mean, he's just he hasn't been able to stay healthy the last couple of years. Um, but I think he looks a lot more attractive. Number two, Omar Cooper looks a lot more attractive at that third spot. Everybody kind of shifts down, and, and I think it looks a lot better for sure. Absolutely. But yeah. I mean, McCauley also was playing at a level where, I mean, he was like first team All Big Ten the last six games of the season. I mean, by far. Like, yeah, like, I don't, re I don't remember his exact numbers, but I, if you look at it, I think it was his last five games. If you, if you average those out over a twelve game run, and I recognize that that's imperfect math because you know I think the only, the only team of of serious note that he played in those last five games might have been Penn State or maybe six games or whatever. The point is, if you take that that window at the end of the season when he, you know, the thing with McCully was we. We heard so much for like a year and a half about he moved from quarterback to wide receiver. He's going to be really good once he figures out, like, not just how to play receiver, but like where his own ceiling is. It's he's going to hit, it's going to, he's going to be off and running. 
And it felt like he finally like kind of ascended to that level in the back half of last season where he got where he understood like, oh, this is how good I am. This is what I can do. This is how people basically can't stop me. And if you take those numbers from again, I think it's the last five games, and I don't have them right in front of me, but I wrote I did this for something I wrote in the about the portal and everything, you know, a week or two ago. If you average those out of over a 12 game run, he would have been top three in the Big Ten in catches, yards, and touchdowns all last season. And again, I recognize that's imperfect math, but it did feel like he went up a level. And it's not by accident that like Texas AM. Penn State, Michigan have all offered. It seems like there's some other schools in the South, whether it's SEC or ACC, floating around him. I think Notre Dame, there's been rumors anyway, and I don't want to go too deep into entertaining rumors, but there's been some suggestions that Notre Dame has, has you know, kind of gotten involved at some level. And you watch those games and you can kind of understand why. Um, but, I mean, he is... I do think the complexion, I mean, listen, you need bodies more than other. Like, you need quality depth no matter what. But if Indiana were able to convince McCulley to come back, I do think between that and going and getting a quarterback, admittedly at a, a group of five level, with some real bona fide, you know, sort of credentials, would probably change the complexion of Indiana's offseason pretty substantially because suddenly you've got at least one side of the ball where you can say, I know, you know, they need some offensive linemen, but you can say, I know what that looks like. Like it's, it's, it's this guy at quarterback. It's these guys at receiver. You can start to watch some of the film of, of Signetti's last couple of years at JMU and say, this makes sense for these players, but you got to do well, it. You, you've got to get simple, those guys in the fold. Well, and McCulley was your best player last year and he'd be your best player again this year. So, I mean, that's good. And then you, you think about it, you know, that's two essentially, you know, Carter Smith, an argument can be made. He would have been the second most important person to get back out of all the people that entered the portal. So if you land McCauley and Smith, that's your two top players that enter the portal that you get back. Um, so even going two of 25, uh, that's still not bad because you're getting the two best players with, um, you know, a two, you know, left tackle obviously is a hugely important position. Uh, I think that would be uh, very significant um, to this team's sort of um, – you know, trying to claw to, to get to that six win mark. If that's your, your kind of benchmark, I think you lose McCulley uh, offensively. You're looking for any, any sort of piece that um, you can get to try to, you know, you need some, I think you need, if you're losing McCulley, you need somebody with some experience in there to step in to that wide receiver room. Um, Anything else you want to talk about football wise? Cause we really should spend some time on, on IU on basketball and IU Kansas and all that. I don't want to say it's fun stuff for Indiana fans after last weekend, but it could be. We don't know yet. No, we could we could go to basketball. You don't want to talk about any more portal fun. You don't want to talk about how players might be eligible for the next fourteen days, but then they might <laughs> then they might not be. Uh, yeah, well, that, but but that's not as bad as basketball because basketball players have just like jumped on the court, and now that might like their one game might be it. Yeah, no, that's that's and as you said, all you gotta do is just sue, and now it's a. That is a whole separate podcast. Um, Indiana, Kansas, what, 1230 Saturday at Assembly Hall, games on CBS. Um, I, I I am actually genuinely fascinated about kind of where Indiana is in this game. They've, you know, in in the in the micro, they've had some some rocky moments in this non-conference. In the macro, they've done everything 
you know, just fundamentally they needed to do to basically not let the non-conference sink them. And if we assume, and maybe this is a dangerous assumption, but if we assume that they take care of those three games around Christmas, at worst, they will come out of the non-conference having sort of gone through some growing pains that we expected them to not absorb any awful blows and, and you know, in the process started 2-0 in the Big Ten. On the other hand, if they don't beat Kansas, even if they do – clear out Moorhead State, North Alabama, and Kennesaw State without much trouble, they will get really nothing out of the non-conference, too, for a team. And I don't, you know, I I have a, a hard and fast rule about, like, looking at bracket projections before Valentine's Day, but I don't think it's unfair to kind of talk about your net rating is down, you need some quality wins, there's probably not going to be as many opportunities for them in the Big Ten as there normally would be, although if you look at their schedule you know, we might be overstating that a little bit, like only one of their first nine opponents at, or maybe it's eight. No, it's one of their first nine opponents after the turn of the year. No, it's eight opponents. Forgive me. But one of their first eight opponents after the turn of the year is outside the Ken Palm top 75. So like, there's going to be quantity there, but maybe not quality. And it's not just that Indiana has kind of fallen short when it's faced the best teams on its schedule. It's that Indiana has just looked non-competitive. And that's why I think this game because you're going to have assembly hall behind you because you kind of, you've already sort of answered the question of like, can you win on the road? It wasn't a hugely impressive win, but you went on the road to Michigan. You won that. Like you've already kind of started down the road of doing enough there. I think this team just needs to beat the sort of team that tells itself and college basketball more broadly. We're not just going to fall on our face every time we face a genuinely good basketball team. But is that more, I mean, it, but that when you're talking about moral victories, right? Like, so it's like, it's hard, you know, it's like, I think that's what fans want. But do you think it, like, I mean, like you said, ultimately, if they, what, what, what will the record be if they lose it? So three, three other ones. So it's 10 and they'll have been 10 and three in the non-conference. Right, it, would be, they, it would be nine and three in the non-conference. Is that right? One, two, three. Four or five. Two of the, the big three. Ten. It would be yeah, eight yeah. and three in the non conference. Ten, 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 ten and three overall because of the two big ten. I mean, that's really what you thought this team would be. Um, and I mean they were competitive for a half against UConn. So I mean, like, you know, I don't know what more can you expect, especially with Xavier Johnson, who sounds like he won't play unless there's some sort of surprise. Um, you know, unless you know, Mike Woodson was uh keeping his cards very close to the vest. I just think it's gonna be hard. Um, you know, because this team's not there yet. Um, in terms of being at that level, I mean, I I agree with that to a point, and like, I guess it's it's the question of basically where you think this team can go versus where this team wants to go, which is the NCAA tournament, obviously. And if you there's, but does you, know, you do you think it matters? Like, if they get blown out, like, do you think I, that I think they have to avoid getting blown out? Like, it just like a, a an an Auburn on their home floor. And listen, I have a theory. I said this on the radio last night. They'll they'll never admit it. I think they were sick. Yeah. Like I and I don't think they win the game if they're all healthy. But just like they look, I went back and watched some of the film. Like they look genuinely just lethargic. Like for a team that hadn't played a game in five days, had plenty of buildup. It's not like Atlanta. They didn't fly to Hawaii or something. Like Atlanta's a one hour flight from Bloomington. Um. And then there was that whole, like, CJ Gunn was was questionable. It turned out he was sick on Tuesday. Then suddenly, like, the entire starting five is questionable on Saturday. They just looked slow. Um, 
And that doesn't absolve a 28-point loss, but maybe it's at least the difference between being more competitive a la the way you were with Connecticut as opposed to just sort of like just not having the fight back, essentially. And you would hope, if you're Indiana, that everybody's kind of run that through, you know, that that if that is the case, that sort of run its cycle and it's out of the roster now. I just don't think you can afford a game at home where you just get absolutely embarrassed if you lose close, when was their last? When was their last? I mean, did they, has have, have they had that during the Woods era at home? At, at home, um, they had a they had a couple of the well, so they they got manhandled by Iowa at home late last season, and it was just a game where Iowa hit thirteen threes, and just like Indiana could not slow them down to save their lives. Like Indiana just could not ever, and it was right after the Purdue game. They, they went up to Purdue and like they just kind of ran oh, Purdue yeah, yeah, yeah. up there and they came back and Iowa just started hitting threes and Indiana couldn't keep up. And then they had a couple games like that in Woodson's um, first season. Michigan did something similar to them at Assembly Hall. Um, Illinois beat them 74 to 57. That game was a little bit more in the balance kind of going into the second half before Illinois pulled away. But the two the two big ones are, are probably um, uh, Michigan and Woodson's first season and Iowa last season but even then I would argue it's a little bit different because like in the context of a conference schedule when you're when you're only playing good teams and you're going on the road some and there's some highs and some lows every once in a while you're just going to have a burn the tape game and you know like well, you're not getting a, you're not getting a week off I mean this yeah, is kind of a and, week off. yeah and yeah. also you know none of those games would have had the buildup of a Kansas. In fact, both of those games happened after Indiana beat Purdue. The Michigan game was the Sunday after Indiana beat Purdue on the Rob Finnessy, uh, like almost all but buzzer beater on the, I think it was the Thursday. And then Iowa was the Tuesday after they beat Purdue up there. And I'm, listen, you got to learn how to handle momentum and all that stuff. I totally agree with that. But there was, within the context of the grind of conference schedule, you could understand sort of why Indiana might not have some of the same sort of fire or whatever after that. And also neither of those games ever got the billing of it's Kansas. It's at assembly hall. We announced this series, you know, like three years ago or two years ago or whatever last year, all of you, you know, 15% of the crowd at fog Allen last year was Indiana fans and Indiana fell in its face. You can't do that at home in a game like this. This is, I mean, assembly hall will help you win this game. Um, Trust me, I like I, I I don't know how many games you'd attend at Assembly Hall before this season. If Indiana's in this game in the last five, eight minutes, that place is going to be on fire. And Assembly Hall is one of those places like Fog Allen, like Cameron, like like the Breslin that can basically be good for seven to ten points on its own. Um, but you just can't afford to just get absolutely sort of buried into the floor in a game like this, I don't think. Well, I think we got to talk about since he was talking. I assume Mike Woodson was talking to you directly about their three point shots. Um, <laughs> he said they take enough. Uh, do they take enough? Do you agree? Here's the one thing I would say about do they take enough? They're not a good shooting team, and he he's never going to say that. He's going to never going to say like gentlemen. He loves to say gentlemen. I appreciate that he treats us with that that term of respect. Um, this was guys. This was this was the less formal. So you no, can that's tell you, true. That's true. He was, was not. He was, it was not. He was getting real. He was. He was. He it was, was not. Talking. It was. It was. It was straight hey, talk. You jer- hey, you jerks! <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was straight talk. Um, no, it. The one thing I would say is a coach is never going to come out and be like, "Listen, fellas, like 
we just can't shoot it very well. So I don't want to take 27 a game. But I mean, I think that he's but they're not they they're saying. not a good three point shooting team. Right. That's what he's so saying. in his mind, right? You right. know, he right. might, and I don't know that I completely agree with this, but I would understand this train of thought in his own sort of mind as a coach. He might think like, I need to see them hit at greater volume before I start saying, "Hey, fellas, let's shoot." I don't think that a team, if you, I mean, like Indiana right now. So obviously, we've talked about this. They are 359th out of 362 teams in Division <laughs> One in the percentage of field goal attempts that are threes. They are 361st out of 362 teams in the percentage of points scored off threes, while Where's they are the seventh in the percentage of points scored off twos. Um, but they're also 335th in three-point shooting accuracy. Like, they're if the season ended today, this would be far and away the worst three-point shooting team in Indiana history. So I guess my point here is, there might be a part of Woodson that basically says, I've got two all Big Ten post players. And actually, quietly, like, Mackenzie and Baco starting to come around at the three. Anthony Walker, I don't think people appreciate. I, I did not expect him to be essentially Indiana's best bench scoring option. Um, I think in Woodson's mind, like, there's a bit of an argument of, like, why would we take shots that statistically right now we are not making with any regularity? Why would we take more yeah, of them I, at the expense I of feeding the good players? Yeah. And, and I and I think that makes sense, but and I think the question becomes, and it, it's not easy to ask this because he's never a going to give a true answer and b admit you know failure essentially that he did not do a very good job constructing the roster in terms of finding enough shooters, and that's sort of essentially where he's just stuck. They're stuck, right? Like this is what this is what this season is, and I think what he's saying, um, you know, he's been asked a lot about you know like are you going to start making threes, and it's like well yeah I'd love to start making threes, um, but they're just this is what the team is right like i mean this is what they got. As a coach you're not going to come out and be like all my shooters are terrible like you, you just like well, well, yeah, I, mean, I mean that's fans I, want I that feel like that's the next because they step. want like some sort of like brief like a like immediate cathartic release to be like yes he finally admitted that they're all but public. i think that's the next step right he seems to be getting very frustrated with the questions and maybe if you just keep asking eventually he's gonna be like look guys i don't know what you want me to tell you like they can't, they they just they're not going to hit them. They're 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 bad shooters. The good news is, while Kansas statistically is a good shooting team, they don't take many of them. Um, they are three hundred and twentieth in basically three point attempts as a percentage of overall field goal attempts nationally. They are two hundred eighty fourth in points in percentage of points scored off threes. They do have some good shooters. Kevin McCullough shoots forty point six percent. Has you've you've mentioned you've covered some bad shooting teams here in Indiana. Have you are they all near the bottom like all time, or is this like like by far and away the worst all time? Well, I mean, it's the thing is like the bad shooting teams I've covered in Indiana again kept shooting threes. So like, um, this would be unique in the fact that they don't even shoot; they're not even bothered to shoot. Right. So like, I'm trying to find what would have been Archie's worst three point shooting team. Archie's worst three point shooting team was his 2019 team, which shot 31.2 percent collectively from behind the three-point line. Right now, Indiana is obviously shooting a lower percentage collectively. But that team, that Archie team, almost 10% more of its field goals were threes than right now for Indiana. And it was scoring about 11.5% more of its points off threes than this one is. Now, there's some other things. Number one, that team was very guard-driven. Romeo Langford, obviously had Juwan Morgan, 
But Romeo Langford, Devontae Green, Rob Finnessy, Al Durham, that team was more guard-driven. Um, this team also just has two really, really good post players that quietly really complement each other. A lot of times when teams play two forwards or like a true forward center in modern basketball, it can be difficult because they kind of want to be in the same spots on the floor, but these two don't. One's right-handed, one's left-handed. One wants to drive, like wants to get the ball on the baseline and basically operate on footwork. The other one is just kind of like, meet me at the rim. I'm bigger than you. I'm longer than you. I can shoot over you if I need to. I'll go shoot some threes. It's not ideal that he's probably Indiana's best three-point shooter right now. But like, the point is, those teams also didn't have kind of this like de- this really defined like depth of post scoring that they could say, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we can we can lean on that instead of shooting threes. I guess, yeah, yeah. And this Kansas team, there are guys that can hit them, but I think I want to say they're averaging like six and a half makes a game. They don't shoot a ton, and you can kind of now. I think you got to be careful with like a Nicholas Timberlake kind of getting loose against you in a game like this, but you don't, it's not last year when they went up there and it was like, Philip, here's Kevin McCuller and here's Grady Dick and here's Jalen Wilson. And there's just like too many guys that can expand the floor on you to cover, especially once Xavier Johnson broke his foot. This in that way, this team is not a horrible matchup. The flip side is you've got a lot more sort of proven overall scoring. You're not going to be able to out athlete them. Um, you may know what Hunter Dickinson is, but he's still one of the best best players in the country. So knowing what he is doesn't mean you're automatically going to beat him. It's going to be a difficult game for Indiana. And I think that one of the few things that may favor them in this matchup, as long as they can defend the three-point line better than they did against Auburn, Lord knows, is um, you've got a team that, that may not necessarily be comfortable shooting like a huge volume of threes. Like this year... Kansas has attempted 20 or more threes three times. So they're not quite as bad as Indiana in terms of the, you know, the accuracy or whatever. Um, but they don't shoot them a lot. And only twice since November 20th, which was the game they opened with Shamanad in, in Maui, only twice have they shot above 35.3%. One time, one game against UConn, they went 9 of 14. And then against uh, UMKC, they were 8 of 20, which is 40%. But like, they, they aren't nearly as exaggerated as Indiana with the three-point shooting stuff, but they're not that far off. A better matchup. But we only have less than a minute, so you gotta you gotta hit the wrap button, man. Where is it? Where is it? Where's the wrap button? Where, um yeah, sorry, I kind of lost myself in that in that three-point stuff. Anyway, Indiana Kansas reminiscing about good times. Uh portal you know, all day, every day. There's no schedule in the portal, they just go on forever. Mike Nislik, Bloom General Times, Zach Goss from Indianapolis Star. This has been Mind Your Banners uh, for December 15th, 2023. Sorry this took so long to put together, but I promise you we will podcast more around Christmas. Maybe I'll even just start a podcast and you can listen to my kids open their presents. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs)